Hi, my name is Nick Baudois, and I'm on a quest, yes, a quest, to discover what motivates, drives, and invigorates practitioners in the field of data science. More importantly, I'd like to take the time to unpack the term data analytics and data science. We hear these terms used interchangeably in the market and seldom sit down to ask what is meant by this nascent field with historical roots in the fields of statistics, mathematics, programming, business, design thinking, data visualization, and various domain expertise. Throughout this podcast, we'll look at the core foundations, separate the important elements from the hype, including the must-haves and the like-to-haves of the data science toolkit. We will ask the movers and shakers of the data science world about their own career trajectory. How did they get to where they are now? How do they find answers and methods to problems that are new to them? And what makes them excited to continue in this field? My hope is that both the newly acquainted and mature data scientists can gain something from this podcast. By looking at diverse journeys to become a data scientist, we can uncover what is meant to have a foothold in the functional and technical world of data expertise. In essence, we'll be discovering how to translate nerd. All right, welcome to Translating Nerd. I'd like to welcome Farshad Nasiri. Did I get your last name right? Uh, correct, correct. And we're sitting here in the spacious office of General Assembly in Washington, D.C., um, with a fantastic instructor of that course. So, Farshad, I'm going to let you take it away and tell me a little bit about what you do here at General Assembly. Uh, sure. Uh, so, first off, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I am the uh, local instructor lead for our data science immersive program here at General Assembly. Uh, for those of you listeners, listeners who might not know, General Assembly is a uh, private educational uh, institution and we teach courses that mainly have something to do with coding and programming. So uh, we have courses on um, uh, web development, uh, user experience, and now uh, data science. Uh, the course that I teach, uh, it's a 12-week um, intensive program where students enroll and they are taught, uh, you know, the basics of data science, uh, principles of machine learning, you know, statistics, probability, things like that, and we prepare them for uh, a career in data science. So pretty much the entire data science life cycle. Uh, yes, yes, we basically covered the whole the whole gamut of and issues. And what are the type of students that usually get into these courses? Uh, so General Assembly, we uh, over here we uh, accept uh, students from uh, many different backgrounds. So uh, some have had some coding experience, uh, a little bit of math background, what have you. But uh, we also have students who are new to coding, new to uh, stats and probabilities. Uh, so there is a diversity of, uh, of experience there, for sure. And so, you know, I've, I've heard of General Assembly a lot. You know, full disclosure, I happen to also be an instructor here, which is how I got a couple of, uh, of our top instructors on this show. Um, but how, how does General Assembly prepare students uh, for work outside of, say, just the coursework? Mm -hmm. uh, so what we do first is the for the first couple of weeks during the the course we sort of try to bring everybody up to the same level in terms of 
uh, their coding skills and uh, sort of, uh, make sure that they're comfortable uh, using uh, you know computers and uh, programming languages. Uh, we primarily focus on Python, but uh, we also have a several number of uh, projects during the course mm -hmm. and lab work. We also try to partner with uh, outside um, entities, so we could run hackathons and things like that. And we also have a, a very good outcomes team who will facilitate uh, sort of the, the students getting uh, getting jobs and getting interviews after they they graduate. So because that's essentially priority number one for a lot of people coming into these courses. Uh, correct, correct. Um, for a lot of people are uh, taking a big risk, uh, spending a lot of time, and, uh, investing a lot of money. Um, so we are uh, here a very much an outcomes oriented institution. We, uh, our primary goal is to make sure that people are able to find jobs uh, after they graduate. And what do you find one of the biggest challenges of people in say, you know, I see people running from, you know, mid twenties to early fifties in a mm. lot of these programs. What is one of the main challenges for somebody coming from a completely different background? Maybe they're in public policy in Washington DC mm. and they want to beef up their analytical game. What's What's giving them pause in these courses, or what challenges do you think you see the most? Uh, I guess uh, the first few weeks is where we see uh, uh, a lot of sort of difficulty in sort of absorbing some of the material, but after the ball gets rolling, uh, it becomes a little bit uh, easier. I guess with a data science immersive program, the, the fact that this is a uh, intensive course might feel uh, overwhelming. So by intensive, you mean they're here every single day, nine they're to here, five? Exactly, every single day. Uh, the first uh, session kicks off at 10 o'clock, and uh, we go till about six in the, uh, in the afternoon and the evening. Uh, but you typically find students who would come in much earlier to work on their labs and on their projects and also stay uh, <laughs> late at night to finish their, uh, uh, their assignments. Uh, so yeah, it, it could be uh, slightly overwhelming at first. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, things that we need to cover. Um, a lot of ground to be covered, but um, once I think they, they get into the habit of things, uh, things become uh, easier. So can you share, you know, without naming names, any cool projects that you've seen people do after 10 weeks of this immersive course? Uh, so at the moment, uh, we are in uh, week six mm -hmm. uh, of, uh, of our program. so. Uh, we haven't got to the final projects yet, but uh, I think one of the uh, good examples would be we did our own Kaggle competition. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so we worked on the uh, housing uh, data set, and it was very interesting to see sort of all the markets competing against one another and uh, people, you know, submitting their, uh, their answers and try to gauge uh, themselves against other data scientists or other So students. actually submitting to Kaggle and seeing where they stack up. Yes, exactly. So we had a, basically a leaderboard going on. Could uh, you do a classroom leaderboard at the same time? Uh, we did not do so, uh, but uh, that's actually a very good, uh, good recommendation. We might do that. Yeah, uh, I, next I can see you know, so. stacked up against those folks who are you know, running neural nets. And uh, so this was, a, uh, this was a, a private uh, competition, so it was only oh, limited okay. to the students uh, in the data science immersive program in GA. So yeah, we didn't we didn't uh, sort of throw them against the professional. I'm thinking obviously. like when you get the hundred thousand dollar prize and you know. yes, well uh, it, it's a good sort of uh, prelude to what Kaggle is and what people do on Kaggle. So I think it was a very good introduction to uh, this whole uh, system of crowdsourcing 
uh, some of these projects. Uh, I thought there was a huge, huge educational value to it. And uh, talking to some of my students, a lot of them are getting more and more into it. Right. So poking around Kaggle, see what they can find, the competitions they and can so get into. And so then they have something to do, not only to show as a, a portfolio for a potential employer, mm -hmm. but something to do when the course is done. Uh, absolutely, something to do uh, when the course is done. Um, it's uh, I find Kaggle to be a, a very good place to sort of hone your skills. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you'd like to do um, uh, more experimenting and you know exploring things on uh, on your own, then that is a very good place to do so. You also get to sort of converse with other data scientists, uh, some who are sort of very much experienced, some who are not. See the kernels of other people uh, too. Exactly. So there's a lot of exchange happening over there. Uh, so I was pretty happy with that particular project. Uh, oh, very nice. Yeah. So we've gotten the instructor part of you out mm -hmm. of the way. Tell us how you got to where you are now. What was your trajectory into data uh, science? So I, 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 th I guess my trajectory to data science was somewhat unconventional. So uh, in college, I did uh, mechanical engineering. So I'm coming from an engineering background. Uh, to this, and um, when I started uh, working on my PhD, um, uh, still in the same field, uh, mechanical engineering, but what uh, I focused on was uh, is what we call computational physics. Um, so I guess the way to put it is that when you, uh, when people imagine a researcher, they think of someone in a lab coat, you know, being in a, in a laboratory and doing like physical experiments. Were you uh, one of those individuals? Uh, I was not one of those individuals. So you didn't get so, the lab coat? Uh, no, not at all. Um, what, instead of basically, instead of like putting a model into a wind tunnel, what we did was um, uh, computational physicists do that we simulate the physical phenomena uh, using computer code. So we know the equations that govern a particular phenomena. We use computers to basically solve those, uh, solve those equations uh, for us. So my particular project was uh, looking into air bubble generation at, on the side of a ship as it travels through water. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was my project. and I had to use this uh, computer code that was written, very elaborate code that was written Fortran. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Fortran, academia is where uh, Fortran, live, uh, Fortran lives uh, right now. Uh, nobody else is using them, but in academia is still live and well. So Mat um, MATLAB would be considered super advanced. Uh, MATLAB, well, we actually use that, uh, I use that for sort of post-processing data mm -hmm. quite a bit. So that's, uh, I started sort of data science with MATLAB and then migrated to Python. Got it. Um, but that was that was what we did. So uh, the good thing about Fortran is that it's very much uh, it's very um, um, scalable. Uh, so you know, run the run the simulations on you know uh, two thousand CPUs and then oh my wait gosh. wait for the results to come in. But towards the end of the research, uh, once I collected all this data, it became apparent to me that the only way that I could make sense of it is through using uh, machine learning algorithms. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my introduction to data science. So I started um, sort of teaching myself. Um, and your transition to Python. Uh, exactly. So I sort of started initially with uh, MATLAB, but you know, uh, at some point you have to uh, <laughs> make, make the switch. Uh, it's just I not feel attainable. Like where I come from, more from an economic standpoint, it's uh, making the switch from Stata. And <laughs> that, we're, that's we're, a we're having a talk today, just like how much we miss Stata, where it's like, you know, you can only bring in one data set, mm. and your view is essentially a spreadsheet. And just like the days when 
you know, we thought that was challenging, and now we're like, oh, I wish I, I miss it so much. Right. Well, I, I have to confess, I do have a soft spot for MATLAB still. Uh, uh, I've <laughs> worked is, with a lot of mathematicians, and they still they still do the same thing sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it, but. Anywho, uh, I basically, yeah, uh, watched a lot of lectures on uh, YouTube. and. Uh, what were some of your favorite instructors on YouTube? Uh, I would say um, Andrew Eng. Andrew Eng. Yeah. I, uh, I just started his uh, his deep learning course. And yes, I went through that. It's like that on, on YouTube? Yeah. yeah well, sixty something Coursera, I did dust off yeah. my math books. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then the deeper I got into it, the more interested I, uh, I became in, in, in data science. And mm -hmm. at some point, uh, I thought this is what I would like to do uh, from this point on. Um, this is very interesting to me. I guess um, the fact that these tools are very flexible and you can apply them to many different areas. Yeah. Uh, that's what what's very interesting to me. And so a yeah. question a question that I ask usually halfway through these interviews is. Um, are you familiar with the, the Model T data scientists? You know, you have a T where the horizontal is going to be things you're, you're good at, but you're not known as your core competency. Mm -hmm. And the vertical of that T is your core competency, what people to go to you for. Gotcha. How would you describe your T? Uh, well, my core competency, I guess, it's, I, I do have a very good uh, math background, so, um, which is something I emphasize. To, uh, to my students all the time that uh, take the underlying mathematical principles very seriously if you want to excel uh, in data science. Uh, if you would like to know uh, the um, strengths and weaknesses of different, different models and different machine learning tools, you need to know the math. So I think that's uh, what I've excelled at. And my day job, uh, I would say, because um, I've been teaching for, for a while now, not particularly a GA, but um, uh, I've taught in other contexts. Um, uh, I think it's very important, uh, especially uh, in a class like GA where you get uh, a lot of students from many different backgrounds that you'd be able to sort of break down complicated um, concepts into smaller parts and sort of teach them little by little and then gather it all together uh, to make mm -hmm. it more uh, comprehensible for and uninitiated audience um, and I think that's something that uh, I've excelled at although um, I don't know my, my students would be a better judge of that <laughs> um, so obviously you had a strong academic career mm -hmm. and mentorship as we know is very important in that for those people who are getting interested in data science and might be going through be it online MOOCs or going to a place like General Assembly or whatnot um, how would you approach the topic of mentorship mm -hmm. Uh, so the topic of mentorship, I would say um, I, through my, throughout my career, I think I've had um, three types of mentors. You get the ones that basically handhold you throughout the entire process, and they're always there, and they actually do some of the, uh, some of the job for you. Um, and then you get the ones that um, are the exact opposite. Uh, they emphasize self-reliance uh, above anything else. Uh, if you have a problem, it's your problem. You're gonna have to deal with it. If you have to stay up late at night and figure it out, that's what you have to do. And, mi and minimal help. I guess uh, my my best mentors were the ones that sort of split the difference. So they did do the handholding where they thought it was necessary, where they thought that if they didn't do it, I would go on. Uh, tangents or go down rabbit holes that I shouldn't go down. But um, 
in other areas, they, they would emphasize self-reliance because there is educational value in that as well. Uh, to try things out yourself and you know break things and fix them and that sort of uh, that sort of thing. So I think a, a good mentor uh, is someone like that who could you know who knows when to do the handholding and when to let people you know make their own yeah. mistakes. How do you go out and find a mentor if you're new to the field? Because I know a lot of people are in industries that data science is essentially still an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. So if someone's coming to General Assembly, how do they find a mentor outside of General Assembly? Uh, find a mentor outside of General Assembly. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure how to answer that, but I would say you need to find someone who really knows their stuff. Um, and uh, I kind of feel like that is something difficult to come by. Um, data science is a very hot topic these days. A lot of people are turning in, uh, to data science. Uh, not a lot of them have the uh, you know, essentials and the requisites to actually be called data scientists, unfortunately, I would say. Uh, so I think the biggest challenge is to find someone who actually yeah. uh, know, knows their stuff. So piggybacking off that, uh, what makes a data scientist, what do you consider absolutely essential in the data science toolkit? Absolutely essential in data scientist toolkit. I would say um, something that I would like to refer to as data intuition. Uh, and by that I mean uh, sort of someone who, uh, a good data scientist has to have a good understanding of the problem at hand, what things are uh, important to that problem, what pieces of information you should be looking uh, into, what pieces of information would actually detract you from, from your goals, so you know, uh, things that you might overlook. Uh, I would also... Would you say that would be a strong exploratory phase in the analysis? Uh, I would say so, yes. Yes, it's very important. It's something I kind of feel like it, uh, it gets overlooked. So get good with pandas? Uh, get good with pandas, but not only that, just um, uh, w although that, that is important, but um, uh, be good at looking into your data and uh, understanding it, understand the distributions, understand uh, how one feature might affect the other. Uh, make sure you're not missing anything. Uh, is your data set complete? Is there other pieces of data sets that could augment your current analysis of data set that you have? Uh, these are the things that I kind of feel like partially come with, uh, with experience. Um, well, and understanding the stats and math behind the models to know what distributions you need to come into those models. Yes, yes, that is, that is also uh, essential. Um, I would also bring, uh, I, I kind of feel like ethics is also part of the same, uh, the, the same uh, conversation where, you know, what to put into your model and, and that's, what to leave out. That's um, coming in more and more. I mean, you have books on New York Times bestseller list, Weapons of Mathematical Destruction, mm -hmm. which in fact was one of the first translating nerd posts was that especially with, uh, you have things like police predictive algorithms is, you know, if you send police to an area that has a higher crime, you're gonna mm -hmm. catch more petty theft and that's gonna, you know, negatively reinforce the model to put more units in this area where you might catch more petty theft. Uh, correct, correct. Uh, there was also, uh, I think, a highly publicized case of uh, that algorithm that was used to um, uh, basically grant uh, in, uh, incarcerated individuals parole. Uh, right, and, right. You know, uh, did, uh, clearly the, the data scientists who were doing that didn't you know, uh, take a deep look into their uh, uh, in, into the things that they had to include in their models and the things that they shouldn't. Uh, so I think in that 
particular case, they actually included race uh, as, as a variable where uh, if you think about it ethically, you really mm-hmm. should not. Uh, so we have all these uh, sort of high-profile cases that I would say also is part of, uh, part of data intuition. What tools would you recommend um, a nascent data scientist to get very comfortable with? Uh, as I found out, um, Python, <laughs> for sure. So, especially we'll go with if the low-hanging fruit. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, if you're starting off from uh, MATLAB, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, MATPODLIB is not a is not an easy thing to deal with because uh, everything is backwards. Um, uh, yeah, that 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 is uh, essential. But um, uh, thinking of other tools, I guess a strong statistics background. Um, uh, and actually, statistics is, to me is pretty fun. So it's not yeah. there, there are a lot of sources out there. It's for it's, you it must be math light. Uh, yeah. Well, um, it's interesting. When I was in college, I, I really didn't like stats. Like I hated it. What changed for some, that for you? I have no idea. <laughs> when I had to go back to it during my like uh, PhD, I thought, oh, this this stuff is really awesome. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't know why I hated it so much uh, back in college. But anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, a stats background would, would actually be good. It's, it's a good starting point uh, for any data scientist. If you take that seriously, then everything else is, is going to be much easier. So going back to college, if you could recreate your own undergraduate data science major, mm-hmm. you have four years. Granted, you've got to get like your Chem 101 in. You've got to get like your English 101. We'll pretend it's like a souped-up liberal arts college. Okay. But if you wanted to be a complete data scientist after four years or just have a data science major, what would you put into it? What kind of classes? Uh, that's very interesting. So I, I'm pretty sure I would set aside an entire uh, uh, course for neural networks because uh, they're just fascinating. Um, um, besides uh, stats, um, I would say, gosh, I don't know. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure a, a course on ethics would be would be very important. Uh, statistics, neural networks uh, should be its own, so own strong, thing. Strong math. Yes. Lots obviously. of stats. Lots of stats. Um, uh, you could dedicate uh, an entire course to classifiers and then a different course to regressors because uh, uh, I think that, that would merit that. Um, Any presentation skills classes to... Uh, that, that's actually a pretty good idea. Uh, I kind of feel like a, a lot of people who have to deal with uh, data scientists are not data scientists themselves. Uh, so normally your clients are not going to be good at uh, all the data science jargon. So it's actually a pretty good idea. Or they to, will have taken stats 101 20 years ago. Uh, probably, yes. Uh, I would say most of them have not even taken that. <laughs> so uh, in, my, in my experience. Um, so yeah, that is actually an essential skill to be able to communicate uh, um, complicated concepts to uh, someone who has not uh, 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 who has not encountered them before. Um, now speaking of complicated concepts, this is always the last question I ask. Mm-hmm. Explain something to me. A complicated subject could be like neural networks, it could be how you create uh, data in the distribution you want, something high level but explain it on a higher level. Right. Okay. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that I, I, I it sh- 
it doesn't seem like it's complicated, but uh, I've struggled uh, with explaining it was uh, is a concept of uh, hypothesis testing. Mm -hmm. So always I bring up the, the coin that if I told you that uh, I have this coin and it's a fair coin. So if you flip it, Can't there's land a, on its side. It's yeah, it's a 50-50 chance okay. that it would uh, come up heads or tails. And then I would, uh, would ask you, how would you, how would you test this? And so if I did ask you, what would you say? flip it as many times as possible. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the essence of hypothesis testing that I would tell you. I flipped it a um, hundred times, and out of a hundred times, you know, uh, maybe 55 times it was heads, 45 times it was tails, then would you say it's a fair coin? And most people say, yeah, yeah, probably it's a fair coin. Um, uh, and then I ask, um, you know, what if, you know, 90 times it came up, came up tails and 10 times heads, then what? And everybody says, yeah, well, yeah, I guess something fishy is going on with your coin. And I tell them, well, there you go. That's, that's the essence of hypothesis testing. <laughs> that's, so you assume something is fair, and then you run an experiment, and the experiment uh, says otherwise. That's basically the essence. Then, then from there, I go into the more details of right. uh, how you would actually implement it. Yeah, if you get um, 90 times heads, I'm taking you yeah. to Las Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well... I know you're, we're running out of time. You got a mm -hmm. class to teach. I got a class to teach. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. If, thank you. This was very fun. If people want to reach out to you, get contact about uh, be it General Assembly, contact about your own personal projects, or mm -hmm. just get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, uh, so you can hit me up on LinkedIn. I will at, put that in the show uh, notes. Yeah. I won't make you repeat that. Um, yeah. So it's actually Farshad Dash Nasiri. So first name, last name, dash in the middle. Um, uh, I think that's that's the best way to contact me. Uh, 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 anybody could reach me on, on, on LinkedIn. Great. Well, uh, I look forward to hearing about all your successful students in the future. Thanks uh, a lot. Same here. Same here. All right. Thanks. All right, thank you very much.